0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I'm grateful for my health. As of this recording, I am 82 days sober, and today I'm going to prepare for my first qualification for my 12-step program by practicing it with all of you. For those who are unaware, qualifications are what generally start certain 12-step meetings, to act as a launching point for everyone else for their shares afterwards. The form is pretty loose, but generally follows the format of what it was like then, what happened, and what we're like now. So my what it was like then was uh, I did grow up in a childhood with trauma, as many of us did. Group family holidays were regular about three to four times a month. My family was very close, my parents with my cousins, two sets of aunts and uncles and all of their kids and at that time from age 5 to 12 I was molested by one of my older cousins at almost every family gathering so yeah about three to four times a month for a young child during that time certainly didn't make growing up easier and I also did grow up in a, a household with a very verbally abusive father who was prone to aggressive outbursts that resulted in us living in a lot of fear So I'm sure that that's part of the reason why I always wanted to escape from the reality that I was living in. You know, I was an addict long before I had my first drink. I started off with books, just being obsessed with reading Goosebumps books when I was learning how to read. And then the Fear Street books as I got older, you know, I'd go to the library, get five or six books. Those would be done in like three or four days. And then I need to get back. And I would just be itching for the next time I can go to the library or could go to the bookstore, go get more books. If I didn't have a book that I was reading, I was noticeably more stressed and anxious as a young kid. uh, than if I had a book in my hand that did also evolve into video games as I got older and discovered them. Uh, I remember that even when I was 14, I was so fixated and obsessed with the release of The Legend of of Zelda, Majora's Mask, that leading up to it and, like, that Christmas that I was expecting to get it from my parents, I was, like, living in constant fear of, like, what if I didn't get it? I need it now. I kept on begging to have my gift early. I was so fixated on it that my parents said they were legitimately worried about my emotional health and well-being, which was rare for them, and it just was something that just... You know, in hindsight, just showed that I had an addict's brain for my entire life. Even in high school, when I became working at the YMCA, that was one of the first places where I ever felt safe. You know, at home, I had my emotionally upsetting upbringing. Family gatherings was the sexual trauma. And then school, I was bullied by my peers for being gay, even before I knew what gay was but working at the YMCA was the first place where I remember ever feeling truly safe, and I became addicted to it. I took my job so seriously for a high school job that I went up from age 14 being assistant swim instructor to by the time I graduated high school, I was pretty much running the department as a shift supervisor, as one of the youngest ones they had ever had. So I always, you know, never liked anything a little bit. I always loved it, craved it, needed more of it, and... The funny thing is I wasn't really addicted to alcohol at first, although it certainly came later, but even in my early drinking experiences, there was a bit of insanity related to them. I remember at one of those family gatherings I had gotten the chance to try one of my uncle's Coors Lights with his blessing and I remember thinking that it tasted like gross water, but even after I took a sip and I recoiled in disgust, before I handed it to him, I took another big gulp. And it just shows that Even in that instant, my gut was like, no, I don't like this. You know, a part of me also went right back to it, despite that. And then I remember at my birthday parties, I would often, that was, uh, I was able to have a sleepover in my grandmother's house. We're in the basement. We had my grandfather's leftover alcohol from back when he was alive. He passed when I was one. So that just goes to show you that by the time I was a teenager and would, you know, have tried the gin on my birthday, how old that gin bottle must have been. And I didn't think to mix it at the time. And I would take a sip and decide that it was so disgusting that I must not be old enough to be able to appreciate alcohol the way that my family members were at family gatherings. And so I would just decide that, you know, 12 might not have been enough or 13 might not have been enough, but maybe next year. And I just remember looking forward to my birthday's Looking forward to trying that gin to see if I liked it. Spoiler alert: Gin was still, even in my worst of drinking days, was never my poison. So I believe that that was because I was turned off to that by trying it so often straight when I was younger. But yeah, gin—you know, heaven forbid—that was vodka. This might have been a completely different story where I hit rock bottom a lot sooner. But no, the gin turned me away from that. So the first time that I really drank heavily and smoked marijuana was my after-prom party. All I remember of the after-prom is us all in a hot tub with me making out with like half of my graduating class, both boys and girls, while I was drinking. And then I went up and stairs and some people were smoking marijuana and I smoked while I continued to drink. And I don't remember anything really till the next morning. I remember that because of that and the way that they timed my high school graduation rehearsal I was so hungover, I felt like such shit, and I couldn't wait to have that happen all over again. Uh, that summer, between high school and college, it was hard to get alcohol, so I didn't really drink too much, but if I had the chance, I would take it. And then when I went to college, I remember you know seeking out a senior specifically for his ID. My relationship was more with his the fact that he could buy me alcohol than the fact of who he was as a person, one night he had plans with friends, so he gave me a bottle of green apple vodka to have with my friends and I just remember I didn't have anyone that was available to hang out that night. but rather than st- not drinking or just drinking socially, no well not socially, but like rather than just drinking by myself, I went ahead and finished the entire bottle solo while surfing my space, which will probably give you a idea of when I was in college. <laughs> But yeah, we both got drunk near the end of my freshman year where we ended up getting into a fight where he assaulted me, and that resulted in me finishing the semester from home. From there, I drank when I could, but there would be long stretches where I couldn't get alcohol. But when I would drink, in hindsight, it always did lead to risky sex when I was single, fights with boyfriends when I wasn't, and it was often mixed with other substances like marijuana or cocaine. After college, I moved back home, and I found I can hold beer better than I can hold my liquor. So I remember at one point, I was not happy with my job that I was doing at the time, selling vitamins that might or might not have worked. And I would spend my lunch break having a pitcher of beer at Hooters with my work friend, Karen. And we'd try and score Coke on weekends and do that and drink but yeah, I remember even you know at age 22, 23 just thinking that it was totally acceptable to have an entire pitcher of beer on my 45-minute lunch break down the road from work and then get back and get back to work on the phones and I got away with it, which made me feel like it was okay. And then at nights, my best friend Drew and I would oftentimes polish off a 36-pack of beer between the two of us. And again, no, you know, never saw any sort of problems with that. But then I got to the point where I discovered wine and grew the taste for it and felt like that was healthier. And eventually a bottle two or night would be normal, even when I was by myself. Although I would remember that I was always somewhat overwhelmed by the fact that I would have, you know, a dozen or two dozen bottles of wine left over each week when the Recycling and garbage pickup day was. So I remember like going to do it the morning before on my way out to work so that my landlord at the time didn't see how much, or my neighbors didn't see how much I was actually going through. But then moving on to what happened, I did meet my current husband who was a non drinker. He helped control my drinking for a while. We would fight when I would drink because when I drank, I would drink heavily. I remember vaguely like being just like wasted off my ass for a midnight release of a Pokemon game. And bless his heart, he just parented me through it. But every time that something like that would happen, I would stop for a while. And then I would feel like I got better or that I had it under control. So I would start again, and it became a circle of pain, especially for him. But then a friend got me into marijuana via vaping. And it felt like the solution to all my problems. It helped dull those feelings of needing to have a drink for a couple years. And it helped me not, yeah, not crave alcohol as much because I was able to smoke more of it without having it smell like marijuana. It would smell like the fruity flavors. And so it helped me drink less. I would even be able to, at that time, have a cocktail when we went out to a party or have a glass of wine at dinner and stop, which for me, stopping was always my problem. It wasn't the fact that I would drink every single day, but it's just when I would drink, I wouldn't stop unless I was forced into stopping. Then the pen stopped getting me high eventually and just helped me feel normal. So I went back to drinking until my adoption started. I go back to episodes to hear about that experience and how I got bad from there. But even after the adoption failed, or after, you know, it didn't work out. My work schedule had me working Saturdays now, and I had a day off during the week. And I would always look forward to that to be a day of all day drinking. It was the day that I could drink without having my husband around to tell me that it might be a problem. And I didn't think it was a problem because at work, we'd have happy hours at four o'clock, or eventually became three o'clock. And then I started even starting my happy hours before everyone else's happy hours because I had to have more alcohol to keep up with them. Before I knew it, I was drinking not only on my days off day drinking, but also drinking at work. I remember having to hide bottles both at home and at work until I could safely dispose of them so that I didn't get caught. The number of times my husband would be looking for you know, a jacket or something from the closet and find like just a pile of empty liquor bottles and, you know, or wine bottles and having me have trying to explain it away. I should have realized then and there that there was a problem, but I wasn't ready to hear that yet. Eventually, though, that last day of my drinking, I remember like the morning just starting drinking, but I didn't eat that day. And I must have blacked out by 11 o'clock in the morning because next time they came to, I was in another risky situation by, you know, three or four. And luckily my husband stopped me or saved me. But it was the wake-up call that I needed to know that I needed to stop drinking. Uh, I just didn't know how to. So I did go into a couple Zoom meetings for AA. It was still at the point during the pandemic where meetings hadn't started in person yet, although we were close to it. Although they didn't really make sense or click for me until I went to my first LGBT plus one. And in that room, filled with a whole bunch of members of my community talking openly and honestly about their problems, it was the first place that I really didn't feel alone. I always felt different no matter what kind of community or group I was in, and this was my people. So I did throw myself into meetings. Uh, I'm still struggling to find a sponsor, but I am doing my 90 in 90. I've kept touch regularly and daily with my fellows I am working the steps. I am right now preparing or working my way through step four. And before I was drinking, I always remember always having either great days or horrible days. There were always extremes. There were nothing in between. But now I have hard days rather than bad days or horrible days, and I'm having more good days than I'm not. One of the big reasons for that not only is working the program and helping find my higher power, but I also have more genuine friendships and relationships, I am one of my groups, I heard how someone explained it, that friends in the program are your most genuine friendships because we just want each other to succeed. And I feel like that's very true. I work in a career that's sales driven. And so a lot of the friends that I've met through work along the way, you're never really sure whether they truly are your friend because they care about you or they're your friend because you're in a position where you can be giving them business and they can be giving you business and now i also have this podcast and i have all of you so that is my first shot at a first share i want to thank you all for listening let me know what you think or if you're interested in sharing your story or getting involved with the show email me at gayapodcast at gmail.com make sure to follow us wherever you're listening to get new episodes every monday and thursday i look forward to a special guest interview in our next episode And until that time, stay sober, friends.